Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Today, it's an honor to be joined by Gordon Beats. Thanks for speaking with the Spectrum community. Uh, thanks for inviting me. And I just want to um, introduce Dr. Beats to our audience in his role here, which is as the Associate Director for Higher Education. And can you talk a little bit about how you um, kind of became interested in higher education um, as a career and as part of your kind of mission focus? It was never my uh, long range plan when I was growing up. I grew up in a home where my father was a conference president and I always thought that I might follow in those footsteps. And so when I did become a conference president at the uh, Georgia Cumberland Conference, after I'd been there for about three years and having spent uh, 13 years as pastor of the church, the University Church in Collegedale, I was invited to uh, become the president of Southern Adventist University. And uh, for a variety of reasons, all the details of which I won't go into, uh, <laughs> my wife and I chose to continue to live in Collegedale and to con and so that meant that, uh, to assuming that position. So for 19 years, I was the president of Southern Adventist University. And of course that, uh, put me deep into educational issues. And, uh, so that's how I got where I am, I guess. So, you know, um, that kind of corresponded with, um, my growing up and I had many friends, um, from, um, all over, uh, North America that were attracted to Southern for a variety of reasons. Um, I also uh, was aware <laughs> of the fact that at one point your hair was blue. I don't know if that's what attracted students to Southern, but can you just reflect back a little bit on your time there and um, kind of what, you, what did you enjoy about that role? Uh, I'll tell you what I miss about it right now, and that sure. is the interaction with the students and the faculty and staff. You know, when you retire, and theoretically I've retired, even though I'm presently the director of higher education for the division, it's a part-time job. And I enjoyed the interaction with the students and with the faculty and staff. And that blue hair incident was yeah. when they were raising money and they said they could reach a certain amount if I dyed my hair blue. And so <laughs> I, uh, I had that arranged and uh, got some criticism, but I think it was, it was a great, it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. So uh, you talk about your part-time role, but um, I've, uh, listen to your recent presentation at the North American Division year-end meetings, and I've read quite a few documents that you've had a hand in crafting, and it looks like you're pretty busy these days. Can you talk a little bit about what you're um, doing? Um, my wife doesn't think it's a part-time role, and <laughs> in reality, what I'm going to be doing 2020, it's not a part-time role. It's a 
it's what I call a full-time job with part-time pay. I think that's how the church <laughs> tends to, to operate. Sounds like Adventist mission. Yeah, it is. It's Adventist mission. <laughs> uh, a year ago, we I planned a mission conference for higher education leaders to meet in Chicago following the teachers' convention. And we met for three days and looked at the horizon of higher education and had some consultants come in to share with us the concerns along with a number of higher, higher education luminaries. And the, the future did not look very positive. And as a result of that meeting, they voted uh, beyond 90% that, uh, and I express it this way, we should do something. <laughs> without, sure. without much in the way of specifics, they felt there was really a need to strengthen Adventist higher education across the division. I was committed and am still committed that that document that came out of that experience, the Chicago Declaration, should not be a shelf document. And so the presidents, when they met this year at the constituency meeting in March, we elected a a task force, a a collaboration task force, and are using that task force now to build a a year-long effort to reach out to basically all the constituencies of Adventist higher education and try to build a case for what we should do going forward. Our, our strong conviction is that if this is not a bottom-up kind of activity, that it's not going to get traction at the individual institutions. And so it's our goal to build traction by having a, a bottom-up activity. I, I get... Uh, a lot of information through the Chronicle of Higher Education and other places about the state of higher education in the United States today. And we are not the only ones struggling with this. I just, in fact, bought a document, A Turbulent Future for Enrollment uh, is a a higher education uh, document that was put out by the Chronicle of Higher Education that is entitled The Looming Enrollment Crisis. And everybody is, there's another document I read in the last week of predictions on the future of higher education. And by 2030, they say 500 private colleges and universities offering four-year degrees will close. And I think the reality is if it wasn't for the subsidies provided by the church to some of our, to all of our schools today, a number of them would have closed already. So we need to, design in some way or form a, a new way of approaching higher education in the uh, in the North American North American church and I hope that over the next you know reading the I hope that over the next year we can move a long way in, in developing a consensus about what that design might look like so um you you mentioned some dire statistics in um, the case statement, uh, Adventist enrollment dropping by about 14% of over 500 students a year. And it seems like your part of your job is kind of as a, 
I don't know, an evangelist going around kind of warning folks of an impending um, crisis, if we're not in a crisis already. Can you uh, summarize uh, some of the specifics that you've noticed on Adventist campuses that should let constituents know that it's time to to look at this very closely? Uh, There's a saying that a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. (laughs) Sure. And I think that the one thing I need to communicate is that, yes, we have some serious challenges ahead. The other thing I need to communicate is some optimism about the mission of Adventist education, the value of Adventist education, and the potential for it going into the future. So it's a, it's a mis, mixed task, but it's our hope to be able uh, to pursue that with some optimism. And uh, the, the fundamental challenges, I think, that we're faced with relate to one, demographics. There simply are fewer students that are going to be available for any kind of higher education going forward. And there also is a significant demographic, cultural demographic shift where a lot of people who need and want it are not able to afford it any longer. And there is a, so the finances uh, become a, a real challenge to people. And there's a general feeling in the in the water or in the culture that higher education maybe has uh, is not as valuable as it used to be. People are getting certificates. They're getting all kinds of ways to get jobs. Maybe they don't really need to have uh, higher education as we have historically seen it. And so all of those are kind of a confluence of the perfect storm that are are challenging all of our schools to some extent. So, you know, looking through your timeline toward consensus on collaboration, um, it seems like one of your tasks in the next year or so is really engaging with constituencies around the North American division. And I'm wondering what um, what a dream response from a group of constituents would be like from um folks across the spectrum from faculty, uh, families, students, boards, uh, conference and union leaders, um, if you could kind of create the perfect constituent reaction to this crisis slash opportunity, what would it look like? That's what I'm steadily resistant to doing because it kind of indicates that I know what end we have in mind. And the fact is, I really don't. I know there's a lot of options. You know, there's people discussing having a North American division system where you had a chancellor with camp 13 campuses across the division. You have people saying we need to simply develop back office opportunities so we can share back office expense and maintain a high level of autonomy and individualism at each of our campuses. And so there's there's multiple discussions going on, and I don't want to suggest, even by saying what I think the perfect response would be, that I know what it's going to be. The timeline toward consensus on collaboration that I think you've read or looked at 
outlines mm-hmm. a sequence of road shows where we're going to go to every board of trustees and every faculty and staff at every institution and present maybe what are some options, discuss their interest in and willingness to support such options. We have contracted, well, we haven't contracted with, but uh, Gary Hamill has agreed to let us use the management hackathon that he's developed for Fortune 500 uh, organizations to allow the employees of the organization uh, build innovative ideas into the organization that come from the bottom up and aren't necessarily top-down bureaucratic uh, imposition on organizations. And so we're going to seek over the next year to use that hackathon or crowdsourcing to truly develop a uh, an NAD consensus on one, the challenges, and two, some of the options we might use to meet those challenges. And that is a, a heavy schedule for this next year. And that's basically what we're going to be doing all year with the uh, task force, as well as with the union presidents and the board chairs and faculty and staff, hopefully planning to finalize some suggestions that we would bring to the year-end meeting in 2020, which is basically a year from now. That's helpful to know. So it sounds like you're looking at both kind of top-down, bottom-up, anywhere you can uh, find some um, fresh ideas, you're open to them. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what this uh, hackathon's about. It's anybody who has an opinion and an idea to, to put it out there so we can look at it. I'm, I'm a member of the Association for Collaborative Leadership that has membership of, uh, oh, I don't remember, 15, 20, uh, 30 collaborative organizations across the North American Division of the United States primarily all sorts of collaborations that go on in higher education. And I would, I would also suggest that the Association of Adventist Colleges and Universities does already collaborate to some extent. We, sure. we all contribute money to a central fund and do our, a lot of marketing uh, together. So we could simply decide to do more of that kind of thing or we could even do some things that are more dramatic. But I do think that we need a broad consensus across the division about what we can what we can do and what we really can't do. One of the criteria that the presidents and the and the board chairs have kind of emphasized and also was emphasized in the Chicago Declaration was that a local identities of Southern Adventist University and Union College and Southwestern and La Sierra, those local identities along with their alumni support system needs to be maintained. You know, we're not talking about some super organization that waters down the local identities of each of our individual schools. You know, I know you've uh, addressed this um, question um, in other interviews and in presentations, but can you talk a little bit about, um, sounds like you're really open to a lot of ideas. Are you open to, um, th- well, let me phrase it this way. Um, 
folks looking at a kind of um, smorgasbord of options here might wonder if this means that um, Adventist colleges will um, be run more directly by the division and by saying that by the general conference. Um, is that an option? There's a lot of angst about that, as particularly in the North American division right now. And that sure. is that the North American division, which is, as you know, really the general conference, it's a division of the general conference, would uh, come in with the kind of high-handed approach that is perceived on uh, other issues in our in our church and sure. so there's there's so much angst about that i think that no that that's never going to happen i think it's we've talked about a coalition of the willing building a an organization that uh could very well have its own 501c3 and could be uh used as a support mechanism for all of the institutions. And actually, most of the bylaws that I have recently read from these other consortia are basically that. Institutions that are not really affiliated as closely as the Seventh-day Adventist Church uh, institutions are, but they have joined together in a consortium to share resources, to share classes, to share faculty, to, to make it easier for students to transfer between uh, institutions. And there's all kinds of things like that, I think, that we could do to, to strengthen our, uh, our educational system without turning over authority to some uh, higher organization other than the group that they put together themselves. That's helpful. So um, it sounds like making sure that enrollment gets stabilized and there's um, pretty clear kind of revenue um, streams coming in. Is there other ways that you're measuring whether an idea is good or bad? Oh, well, the two fundamental principles that we're using is, will it be good for the students? Can we have lower tuition and stronger academics? Those are the two basic fundamentals. We need to make things less expensive somehow, or at least mitigate the, the growth of the expense. And we need to strengthen the academics. And one way to strengthen the academics has already been experimented with a little bit between Southwestern, Southern, and Union College, where the math teachers got together developed a curriculum for math majors. And with those three institutions, they probably have, I don't know, they probably have a half a dozen math teachers instead of two math teachers at each institution or one at some institutions. And obviously each math teacher has their strength and their interest that can teach through distance education their particular uh, piece. And so you can get the best of, of all three institutions contributing together to develop a very strong major in one particular area of curriculum. And I, I think that is something that could, over time, uh, not only strengthen academics, but save some institutions from having to have more math teachers that they need for specialties in, 
in some uh, unique areas that everybody's not a specialist in. That's a great example. Um, is another one focusing on campus specialization? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> that's one of the things that will probably be thrown out there. That if you want to sing in the best, in fact, I got an email yesterday or the day before yesterday from someone who wants to know where is the best music de- program in the North American division for <laughs> for someone who wants to study music and so forth. Is it possible to do that? Boy, that's going to be a really hard sell to some of our institutions who want to be experts in everything. But yeah. the fact is, I don't think we can afford that. You know, and we're going to we're going to have to narrow our focus. And of course, if we can do that across boundaries by sharing teachers, then every school can have a high quality degree in, again, mathematics, because they're using teachers from from every institution as compared to saying, well, if you want to go to math, get mathematics, you need to go to Walla Walla, you know or you need to go to mm-hmm. PUC or something like that. But that other idea has been floated. And in fact, I talked to some of the faculty at Southern yesterday, because I or Monday, because I happened to have been down in Collegedale, and they're concerned about, they developed a real strong program in X, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. And then, because it seemed to be working so well in drawing students, uh, institution Y decided to start program X (laughs) because they wanted to get some of those students. So that simply dilutes the potential student pool to uh, a variety, a note, two or three different institutions, you know, and that's unfortunate. It would be nice if particularly in some of these esoteric majors that uh, we could say kind of like we have historically said about engineering you know, you want to go to an engineering school, you go to Walla Walla. Or, and sure. so you want to go to medical school, well, you go to Loma Linda. We, we probably need to have a little more of that going on. But uh, hard to pull off unless there's a significant financial exigency and there's a clear pathway for people to say, if we do that, we may lose some students in this field, but we're going to be able to gain students in, in another field. So um, thanks for talking about those um, kind of details. Looking at the timeline, is it true that around 2022 um, things will start to gel and and, um, constituents will have a sense about where this has gone? I hope that by January, February of 21, we'll be be able to have – have a sense. I mean, if we can't, you know, it's a big ship and it's hard to move, but if we can't make some decisions by 2021, I think that uh, that the cause is lost. And and in five to 10 years, we're going to lose some institutions. Um, I've got maybe two questions left here and, and kind of going beyond the specifics that, um, your work is focused on right now. I'm curious if you can kind of talk about the the, the kind of 
um, qualities that you think are essential um, in higher education? What makes for a good institution and a good group of folks around that institution? I, you know, the obvious ones, of course, I guess one would say were academics. But, you know, I have two children, my daughter and my son-in-law are now teaching at Loma Linda University. My son-in-law is teaching in the School of Theology, and my daughter is teaching in the School of Physical Therapy. Sure. And they are they're in their personal modus operandi, they're creating a community around their students that is uh, building relationships very strongly. And I think that the living, learning environment should not go away from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. It is a it is a fact that young people between 18 to 25 get their values from their peers and their mentors. There's studies after study that have concluded that. And so having our young people grow up in an environment where, and in my, my children's case, where they invite them over to their house to have pizza, they see them in their informal lives. They come to them when they have personal issues of problems with their, uh, their uh, girlfriend or boyfriend, and they, they really are becoming mentors of these students. If, I think we can't lose that, or we're going to really lose what it means, I think, to have Adventist education. I mean, we could have the greatest academics in the world. You know, I, I spent a semester at Harvard on a fellowship, and I understand what high academics are, but that is not the sole solution to building a community of faithful uh, Seventh-day Adventist young people that are seeking to advance the kingdom of God. Yeah, I um, have to agree. Those the the personal connection um, uh, reinforces the intellectual growth and certainly um, makes for um, connections and not just to um, Adventism, but to um, kind of the the higher values that make for. Uh, Good humans in this. It's not. Way. It's not about proselytizing. Um, I do not believe that our institutions yeah. should be proselytizing as a, in a kind of an overt way, and be. Uh, they need to be teaching young people how to think and how to sift through the massive information that is coming their way through the media, and uh, and I think that that can happen in this living learning environment with close relationships with other students and with faculty and staff. And that, again, is what I enjoyed about the work I did at Southern. I would meet in my office with the freshmen going th- uh, through my office and talk to them about uh, what was important in their schooling, et cetera, et cetera. Those kind of personal relationships are invaluable. Yeah. Well, my last question here is just what um, gives you hope as you're looking at some of these problems? Um, Obviously, you care about higher education. You've had a long, uh, successful legacy um, 
in and around our institutions. So as you're looking at the kind of larger Adventist church, um, what uh, drives uh, you to keep caring? I am uh, the eternal optimist. And I think that's part of leadership is being optimistic. I was called by my vice president's uh, Pollyanna when I was the president of Southern. <laughs> and, and so maybe I'm a little bit Pollyannish, but I having experienced that education myself and having my kids experience it and now being involved in it, we just can't lose it. It's just not an option. And so I'm, committed to do all that I possibly can to keep it strong and to uh, have it prosper. Well, thank you so much for talking with uh, me today. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move when the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely I'll never forget it.